0: Hello, I am Oliver Tonby, Chairman of McKinsey in Asia. Welcome to the Future of Asia podcast series. The Asian century has begun. Asia is the world's largest regional economy. It is at the center of the technology revolution. It is at the center of consumption growth, consumers of the future. It is at the center of climate risk and what we need to do to mitigate. As our economies evolve further, Asia has the potential to fuel and shape the next normal. In each episode, we are going to feature conversations with leaders from across the region to discuss what Asia's rise means for businesses everywhere. Welcome.
1: Hi there. Welcome to the Future of Asia podcast series. My name is Anand Swaminathan, and I'm a senior partner at McKinsey based in Singapore, and I lead McKinsey Digital across Asia. In this podcast, we are looking at cloud technology in Asia. Our region's initial response to the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020 was partly enabled by the region's technological foundations, developed long before the crisis. While the world continues to grapple with the pandemic, we certainly see an increase in adoption rate of cloud in response to rapidly changing trends, such as digital transformation. The growing importance of cloud technology is now being realized all over the region, with governments, organizations of any magnitude and size, and across regions. The question really becomes, what are some of the opportunities that cloud technology really has to offer? Will we continue to witness the rise in the adoption rates across Asia? What's really spurring this adoption rate increase? And what is exciting about this technology that every business seems to want in? Join me today as we address these themes. And we've got some wonderful guests who are keeping very close tabs on this technology and in the region who'll share their perspectives. Our guests include Paul McPherson, who is the Chief Information Officer of Consumer, Private, and Business Banking at Standard Chartered Bank. We've also got Garrett, who is the President of Oracle in Japan and Asia-Pacific. And we've got Brandt, who's a partner at McKinsey based in Sydney, Australia, and he leads our technology practice across Asia. Hi, everyone. Great to see all of you here today.
2: Thanks for having us. Thank you.
1: Great to see everyone. And look, I think this is just a, a terrific topic, only, if nothing else, the speed of what's happening with cloud and adoption in the region is quite, actually quite fascinating. And certainly every business, every organization, every leader, any one of us speaks to, they're talking about this. And it's certainly a good buzz about it across the region, but it's not something brand new. It's been there, but the noise seems to be going up. I'd love thoughts around what's really driving this adoption of cloud in Asia. And perhaps, Garrett, we'd love to start with you, on how you think about this and, and what this driver really is behind the uptick.
3: Sure, thank you, Anna. And I think the overused conversation point is that you know, COVID has created the urgency around digital transformation. That's absolutely true. But as you said earlier, this began a long time before the pandemic uh, came upon us. It was a build out of need. And I think there's three pillars that companies have been focused on that have been driving this transformation and movement to the cloud. The first is innovation, and that is converging the database capabilities, looking at the uh, focus on building low-code applications that run faster and leaner inside your infrastructure, and then clearly building data strategies around warehousing and analytics and the usage of the data, which is really a goldmine for, for many companies. The second pillar is transformation, which is specifically efficiency, moving companies into an environment where, in the cloud, they can focus on their business not in the maintenance of the objects that help drive their business. And then lastly, probably most important is the protection pillar. And that's all about security. And it's not just encryption, but it's about the access and key management and being able to be out there doing central audits and being able to protect the customers that you have because you're protecting the data you have on those customers. So those are really three important areas that I think that is driving this cloud adoption in Asia and coincidentally around the world at the same pace.
1: Yeah. And I think those are some real things we're all facing. I'm curious, Paul, you must be living this, breathing this every day in your role at the bank. How do you see it? Is this what's driving it for you as well? Or are there other factors you're seeing in your world?
4: Yeah, look, I would concur with Garrett. I think there are three drivers within financial services and talking to my peers across Asia. I would add two additions to that. The customer interactions and the adoption of digital has gone through the roof here. And cloud is an enabler of that. So Within the bank, what we're talking about is how we can improve those customer interactions via cloud as an enabler. And and Garrett talked about some of the innovations that's happening in that area as well. The second one that I would add is around the efficiency piece and add a little bit more specific to the organization side. We're having to reprioritize investments. There is some pressure within financial services and banking around the economics of, you know, serving our customers in, in, our mass markets and in other markets across in the affluent space as well. So enabling cloud allows us to have that optimization on the cost side as well, which allows us to invest in other customer facing and customer interaction technologies as well. So for me, yes, three for Garrett, but, but I would add the drivers is around the improving the customer interaction. And then secondly, how we can get more, more for our investment. Uh, via better tech uh, efficiencies.
1: Yeah. Love the focus and the connection between cloud and customers and the fact that it's actually the real linkage. And and Brant, I know you're living this every day as you're seeing the technology practice, the demand coming in on how do we link cloud and customer and how do we actually enable better experiences? Any thoughts from you, Brant, around what, I know you're doing some research around this, you're thinking through this, what's happening there between cloud and customer and the acceleration?
2: Well, I think it's really interesting. And as Garrett pointed out, it didn't start because of the pandemic, but certainly there was a great acceleration through the pandemic. And obviously in in Asia, there was a lot of cloud penetration anyway, just because we do have a lot more penetration in e-commerce and e-commerce players because of our large sets of population and, and some of the regulatory environments. And so I think what's actually quite interesting is that we're seeing cloud as being a way that drives a lot more agility and velocity and the ability for companies to deliver new services into production environments and to deliver them so that customers can interact with new features and functionality on a much more regular basis. And we're seeing that across industries. And I think that that's why you hear Paul talking about it being a real customer focus. And, and I think that's actually one of the really exciting things is because it's, you're actually allowing developers to really flourish.
1: Yeah, I think that's spot on. You know, I was also wondering if one of the other reasons why adoption is being driven up is, frankly, the cost of compute is dropping so much and the cost of storage is dropping. So up. all of these things from a cloud perspective is actually becoming more efficient, more effective to do for most organizations, right? I think everything we do as a individuals where we store our capability, cloud is the way we interact. We want to store, we want to engage with uh, content. We want to engage with others. Do you see that too? Is that cost factor a bit of it as well for organizations that this is a more effective way to operate? Maybe Garrett would love any reflections you have there. I think you see it from a technologist standpoint, right? From your firm.
3: Yeah, I think there's two very important factors. And I think ultimately, they need to be balanced. The first is the engagement in cloud. Actually, up front, it's typically more expensive because you've got to tear down a legacy and a buildup, if I may, of innovation. And they're not an on-off switch. You've got to do them in parallel. So there has to be a a front-side investment. But then, of course, the second phase, you have run rate, which is dramatically less expensive, primarily because, as you said, the cost of storage and the cost of compute have reduced. And if you're an individual enterprise, there's just no way you can create the efficiencies that a hyperscaler can create a large uh, technology company can deliver to you as a vendor because of the fact they can spread the cost across so much infrastructure. So I think first and foremost, there is a realization that cloud isn't cheap. And I think that's something that, you know, some companies and some customers I hear from say, wow, you know, this is a bigger step than I thought I was going to have to take. But at the same time, you do have to look on a horizon and a midterm horizon. I wouldn't say a long-term horizon. You should be looking in terms of a year or two, not five, 10-year plans. Then ultimately, if you've done this correctly, then everything begins to flow. Paul made a great example with regards to t- thinking about the customer's customer, so to speak. And really, that's when the efficiency comes because the way we communicate with our customers, whether you're a bank or you're a retailer, or you're a restaurant, we typically engage in you know kilobit measured emails or short messaging. Think of what's happening now that we've gone into live audio and then pictorial. You know, we've gone up into the megabits. And what happens when we go video, if you're in a bank, for example, and you're communicating to customers, and that next generation comes in and says, I don't SMS, I don't email, I talk to you, your storage on that specific customer is going to amplify by 1000x, how do you manage that infrastructure and all it takes to bring that infrastructure into your enterprise? Well, you don't do it by yourself, you've got to look to the cloud as the answer.
2: I think, Garrett, you're bringing up such a good point. And I think that there's one of the common fallacies about cloud is this immediate thought that it's going to yield these huge cost savings, right? And the reason why companies go to cloud is only a small bit because of cost, right? When Paul mentioned that cost is certainly a variable, and you do have kind of cost savings, but they're not in the way that companies think about it. And I think that it's a really important thing to realize that the benefits of cloud are very holistic. And when we did our kind of trillion dollar cloud opportunity sizing, less than 10% of that's around cost. And I think it's important to just remember that and actually companies, to Garrett's point, actually get quite surprised as they're making the transition that actually cloud in many ways ends up being more expensive, and especially in the, the short term. And so I think it's really important when, when companies are thinking about the transition and, and doubling down on cloud, they're doing it for the right reasons.
4: I think it's clear. That there are cost advantages compared to traditional hosting i think that's given in the market now what we're starting to see now is that as you go further into this journey the labor saves and the efficiency around the people you have within an organization so let's take a tech organization within financial services we're seeing many benefits of not only reduction in the non-labor costs for cloud but also the benefits on the labor side and that yes through automation there's less people over time, which is a cost. But the bigger factor we've seen is the efficiency of our developers. So if we're enabling our developers to get code and feature functionality to our customer faster of a higher quality with the levels of automation that cloud can bring, built-in security controls, built-in resiliency controls, everything that cloud brings to the table, that's where we're really seeing the benefit. And if I take it back to my customer comment, if we can get a customer journey and a feature functionality to our customer quicker, enabled by a cloud, which increases the income line. Then you've got that happy mix of income line going up and costs coming down on a labor and non-labor point of view. And Brent, you said it perfectly. And Garrett, you've got to think holistically around the benefits of what cloud can enable. Love it.
1: So maybe, Paul, can I build on that with you on this concept of then companies integrating cloud into their business. So you're giving almost the ways in which the value starts to show up with cloud and and how business can do it. My question then would: so why should they do it? Why should companies embrace this today and now? Are they gonna be left out if they don't do this today? And how should business leaders, CIOs, CTOs really think about this as they think about their business going forward for the next few years?
4: Great question. I'll talk specifically within banking and financial services, and I'll talk specifically around the mass personal space segment. We see cloud as an enabler of the adjacency partnership ecosystem play, right? So banks are coming to the realization is that if they're going to scale customer and serve customer, then we need to tap into the partner ecosystem. Now, cloud enables you to do that at pace. And with innovation with, with those relevant people, you know, whether it be in the B2B service, the B2C marketplace, et cetera, et cetera. So we're using it to shape different business models and enable different business models within financial services and in particular banking. Now, how have we gone about it? And I'll get very specific here. We put a a cloud-first strategy in place. So that's number one. Anything, any new platform that we build to enable a customer journey is cloud-first, okay? We also put in a migration strategy. So we're heads down now moving legacy to cloud. We've taken our core bank to the cloud, as, as many folks know in, in the industry. But we've also gone one step further. And we've started to move our digital business or you know new business models to cloud-native platforms. And Mox is a great example where we have taken a different stack. It's cloud-native. So we're really doing it on three fronts. Anand, it's cloud first. It is basically migrating to the cloud. And then we're moving some of our digital businesses to a new cloud native stack. And we think that three-prong approach is a way to accelerate all the benefits that we have spoken about.
0: Asia's standing in the world has changed. And it's clear that where the focus once was on how quickly the region would rise, The reality is now all about how Asia will lead. Keep listening to the Future of Asia podcast.
1: It sounds like a great recipe because it's a recipe that actually any business, any any industry should be able to do. And I think what you described is not, I love the using banking and financial services, but frankly, it sounds like a recipe for all. And maybe Garrett, I could ping you on that, right? Because this is interesting. As you talk to customers of Oracle thinking about cloud they might even still be in that early stage of why should i do it what should i be thinking how do you have that conversation with them and and how are you unlocking for these customers that potential of cloud and getting them to make decisions would love to know
3: sure on and, and just before i answer that question i'd like to compliment paul on on that focus one of the things that's important and and i see this from the vendor aspect and not not just oracle for many companies i deal with Your focus is literally the key to the vault. How do you get into cloud? Because it is a multi-pronged initiative. You are doing what, and if your vendors are not doing it, don't work with them. They need to be cloud first. Every application they build, every new service they deliver, everything they're doing has to be cloud first. They can't give you the, well, this part of my business is going to be developed in this mechanism, and the other part of my business is going to go into a different architecture. Because that bifurcation is going to create friction, lack of integration, and quite frankly, lack of innovation. So, the tests you're putting on yourselves are tests that I think you should put out to your partners. And if you've all synergized in those directions, you will accelerate and you will obviously get to your goals, not just faster, but better. So, great focus. I congratulate you on that accomplishment. With regards to the question that you asked, Ananda, I really think there's a couple of things that you have to get customers into the conversation around. And the first one is very simple, but it's very hard to do, which is get into cloud. As a vendor, you see some very simple and, and if I may, minuscule decisions going to the board. And I think the part of it is not the dollar amount, but or the yen amount, or, or the Singapore dollar amount, for that matter. It's more of the complexity of, of the question. How do we get into cloud? Who do we go to cloud with? And, and we don't. we want to prevent ourselves from making a mistake. This is a new frontier. So my advice is to the CEO is harness your team, build you know unity. You don't have to say there can be no dissenters, but once you've made the decision to go, you need the whole team to come across with you. Because if you draw a line in your organization and you have some people sitting on the don't go to cloud side and the others sitting on the others, you create an inhibitor to success right there and then. You just need to get into the cloud. The second point you need to do is to figure out how are you going to handle data? Because the whole objective of cloud and the value that comes out of it is taking that disparate data infrastructure you have and bringing it together in this architecture that then takes business, a process, and workflow and activation. But you've got to figure out how are you going to handle data. And to some extent, the norm of standardization is important, but you don't have to standardize on single source. Multi-cloud strategies are becoming very common, and it's because the data can move through various infrastructures and not put a customer in a corner, so to speak on one specific architecture. The next question the customer has to ask, ask themselves is, what business questions do I have? What do I want with all of this? A bunch of bits of advice and technology and transport layers is great to have, but what's it doing for me? And that will help define where you're going with your business process, what you're doing with your analytics, how you're warehousing and setting up your infrastructure. To optimize, as, as Paul said, to utilize this technology to better your business and better the delivery to your customer. And then, of course, Paul talked about automation. This is really important. I really believe the second half of this decade, particularly in software, is not going to be about features or functions. It's going to be artificial intelligence and machine learning. And without data, those things don't exist. Without cloud, quite frankly, they won't scale. And I think that scale and bringing, and it's not project oriented, it's embedded ML and AI which delivers, of course, efficiency, but it delivers insight and it delivers the ability to activate with focus and quite frankly, take the noise out of the channel to the customer and be a better partner.
1: Right. Oh, this is great. Hey, Brant, I'm curious. You're out there talking to clients and you're hearing from them. Some are beginning the cloud transformation and the journey. Some are well on their way. You see the whole range and spectrum. Why are they getting started? And what do you tell them when they ask you the question, why should we get started?
2: I think it's a great question, Anand. And I must admit, this reminds me of Agile about five or seven years ago, where virtually all clients were talking about Agile. Everyone was going Agile. Same thing right now with the cloud. Back in the days where everyone was going Agile, you had only a handful of companies that had really actually gone Agile. And in most cases, you had lots of experimentation, and there's a big spectrum. And that's the same thing happening right now with cloud. Everybody's talking about it, All clients are talking about it. And much like with Agile, there are a handful that really understand it, get it, and are making very effective use of it. And if you think about the effective use being across all the dimension Garrett and Paul have talked about, and the broad swath, most companies are either just doing early experimentation or they're just middling right now and struggling a little bit to see the value. And it's actually then quite tough. And so the conversation I have with clients is to say, cloud is just a tool. It's not a destination unto itself. And so the real question is, what are the business objectives in the organization? And then what are the tools of which cloud could be one that could be an effective enabler of the business ultimately? And so the discussion really is, where are they today? And then oh, a little bit of what's the most effective path that they can, where they can see actual value? Because that's the, the idea of spending tens of to hundreds of millions of dollars towards an ethereal objective, as we all know, is not as effective.
1: So this is pretty exciting to think that it's very clear what the cloud is and why this adoption is accelerating. It's also very clear why companies should do it. But the question then becomes, how do I do it? And how should a company begin the journey? Where do they start? Garrett, would love maybe any opening thoughts you might have on where do they begin this journey? Sure. And and I
3: think the most important point a company, an organization can think about as they're setting up the journey into the cloud is that it's not simply a technology initiative. It's a leadership agenda. And it it is a C-level decision, but it must be worked from the C-suite straight through the organization. Because if you don't bring your team along, as with any important transformation, you get friction, you get potentially failure. But the cloud journey is really something that involves a lot of technology, but it also involves business process. It involves the ability to to bring a culture into the company where there is a desire and a commitment to change and transform, to use the word. And I think what I'm seeing now is the companies that have that C-suite continuity that carries itself through the organization, They're transforming better, faster, much more effectively, and delivering much more innovation amongst themselves, but more importantly, to their customers.
4: I would add that you need to get the hearts and minds of the people, right? So set your ambition high, and then go around and get your stakeholders within the organization on board. And I'll give you one example. Our colleagues in risk and compliance, yeah? The benefits of the cloud, everyone is clear on that. The economics play out, labor, non-labor, but it comes with a different risk profile. And making sure that you have your folks within the risk and compliance parts of the organization understanding that risk profile and putting mitigations in place has helped us accelerate. So my counsel would be, once we've done the first step that Garrett talked about, ambition and culture and C-suite buy-in, get your risk and compliance stakes on board and then move into the execution part.
2: Paul and Garrett, I love both of those perspectives. I mean, I think if, if I just... Think about the kinds of things that uh, I think I and we see highly complementary. There are a big spectrum of what folks are doing. Everybody has some level of experimentation, and there's some really good examples of companies that are getting incredible value from the cloud across multiple dimensions. I think Garrett, your point around it being a top team objective and priority is crucial because the examples that have scaled and are getting the real value from cloud are ones where it is a top three priority, and because it underpins the business. And that's why you see certainly with any new player, they're all in the cloud. It's really more of the legacy organizations that are having to make a much bigger call and it's a much bigger transition. And I think that different organizations have different value pools, right? I mean, through the pandemic, we saw business continuity being and resilience being one of the massive benefits of being in the cloud, particularly as many of our clients have very complex and wide-ranging estates. But I think that more often, companies are now really looking at the acceleration of the business and the velocity, Paul, that you talked about as being where they're getting real value, and it is helping them become increasingly competitive. And I think that's the exciting promise. And I think that organizations are kind of creating a proper blueprint and really getting going in a thoughtful way.
4: And, and I, I just had one comment. I think this one is something that's played out for us over the last you know, 12 months is that talent. So it's, it's great to have ambition. It's great to have you know all the relevant folks at the table, making sure that we can execute and, and transform at velocity. But having the, the right talent is really key in, in this space, right? And we are starting to see availability of TAN, either retention or attraction of talent, is high on our list as well in our, on our execution path. So I would call out the talent and the importance of that as well.
1: I think, Paul, this talent piece is likely the hardest nut to crack for most organizations when they're getting started because they don't know where to get it. (laughs) The talent is not in abundance. The talent is not readily available to be able to show up because they have many options out there that they can go take on. And maybe, Paul, if I could follow up with you on that one, how did you... Go about getting the talent that you needed as you went on that journey? What were some of the secrets you have? And perhaps not all the secrets, Paul, but what were some of the secrets you might have had?
4: I'm always sharing. You know me. Look, we were very direct and with our suppliers. Yeah. And we leaned on them in early days. We had no choice. We had to lean on the cloud providers uh, that we have in our markets as well. But then we actually made a very deliberate and intentional choice about going out to market. And We identified this capability as one that was top of the list in terms of where we would go to. And we went far and wide looking for it. The the other piece that we've done around talent is that we've done a lot of internal training and coaching and certification, again, with the help of our providers. We have taken hundreds and hundreds of people through cloud certification, so they're able to progress the conversation as well. So there was a number of things that we did. We really leaned on providers. One. Two, we were very deliberate and intentional around going to market across the globe around this skill 12 months ago now. So it's been some time in the making. And then we really doubled down on on internal talent and, and got them to where they need to be.
3: It's a really good point, Paul, that you hit because this is also a demand at the vendor level for a transformation. One of the things that we've done in the legacy environment, you had, if I may, software sales teams, and then you had implementation teams, and they were typically systems integration and implement and, and coders. One of the things we came to the table with this year is we transformed our model. We said, there's got to be something in the middle, and we created a role called cloud engineering. And cloud engineering is something where we actually deploy resources into the customer on on a project-specific basis to actually engage and and work with the customer to do the shift and lift, to do the move and improve, to take that business to the cloud. And it's not a consulting engagement. There is no fee for it. The people involved in it don't have quotas. They are specifically there to drive consumption because ultimately that's the value of the cloud to the customer when it's being consumed, not when it's being contracted, not when it's being architected, when it's being consumed. And I would tell you that in Japan and Asia-Pacific, my cloud engineering team is approaching the same size within one year of initiation as my consulting headcount. So I am, and I expect it to go further than that because I recognize the point that you make. We need to be able to deploy resources in the customers to help them not just transform and implement, but to carry through and into the run environment of the cloud. And it's not a consulting engagement. Consulting needs to be there for systems integration and specific application coding. But this is a transformational support engine.
2: This talent point is so important. If I think about, you know, for our clients, there are two dimensions. There's the one dimension, which is like, how do you get the talent and how do you find them? And it's one leveraging your partners, as Paul, you talked about. It's another, which is how do you pick the skill sets from your existing organization to be able to build their capabilities? And then it is also about, you know, how do you educate people from outside of technology to actually start to appreciate and understand and almost rotate through the technology organization and to get an understanding of of next generation technologies, which is crucially important. Then there's the other side of this, which is all about how do you retain this talent? And actually, that's where technologies such as cloud are crucially important is because actually good engineers want to work in highly modern environments. They don't want to program in COBOL, and because of that, they're starting to expect not only beanbag chairs and comfortable environments and perks and flexibility, but they actually want to work on next generation tools and projects. And I think that that's the kind of dual importance of talent and what tools such as cloud provide.
4: Yeah, Brent, just on that, we did a, a cloud talent marketplace two weeks ago. And the number one question that we had from potential joiners was, Talk me through your tool set. They didn't talk about compensation. They didn't talk about office, except they wanted to know the tools that they were going to be using and the innovation that we had within the organization. So you, you make a great point. It's really important. It's a great
1: topic. And perhaps this is where we uh, bring it to a close. I think talent is the uh, nut to crack as we go out there. but. You know, It was wonderful to just hear the perspectives on why cloud adoption is rising at the rate that it is, and what should we do about it, and how do we go about embracing the value, the economic value, as well as fundamentally the business value for the company itself, the employees, and the customers, and what it really drives for the business. So great conversation. Garrett, Paul, Brandt, thank you all so much for joining today and spending the time. Really appreciate it and look forward to continuing this dialogue. Thank you.
3: Most
4: welcome. Thanks, Anand. Thanks, so. Thanks for having us.
3: Great to be with all of you. Thank you.
0: You have been listening to the Future of Asia podcast by McKinsey & Company. To learn more about McKinsey, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com slash Asia, or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.